After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. everyone. This is Raghu. I'm back with Mind Rolling and I'm back with part two, which we started last week, which is from the spring Maui retreat podcast that uh, I did with Duncan, Bob Thurman and Krishna Das. And um, we're continuing here. But before we do, I want to mention 1440 again, 1440 multiversity Go to 1440.org. 1440 is our wonderful partner, and uh, we uh, they have at their beautiful retreat site near Santa Cruz, California. Coming up, Krishna Das and Sharon, mid-November, 16th through 18th. And Sylvia Borstein, who is... A good friend of Sharon Salzberg and somebody I've had on the podcast. She's fantastic, too. and She's in December, so definitely check her out. Okay, part two. Part two of this, uh, this great time we spent on a Sunday afternoon in Maui. Um, so Duncan starts the proceedings off, and he asks, Is there room in this satsang to achieve enlightenment? In, but in a way to honor Neem Karoli Baba, wouldn't that be the, the, the best way for us to do so? And of course, that would be. And uh, Krishnadas responds to that. And in a way, um, I mean, what do I think about that? I never think about getting enlightened I just think about becoming a, a, a better human being, kinder, more compassionate, and less involved with myself. I guess that could be considered enlightened uh, being uh, without being somebody that is completely, absolutely not living in duality. And it's uh, certainly something to aspire for, too. Uh, and we talk about here, faith is a way of finding the reality of love. And um, when we we brought up this uh, karma and grace, uh, are they the same? Are they one? And Bob had a great thing to say. We're, when we are living in ignorance, they are not one. And when ignorance has been transformed by wisdom, they are one. And when that happens, and, and this is... It's enlightened karma. I've never heard this expression before. Enlightened karma. Actions that reach out to beings to bring them out of ignorance. That's enlightened karma. See, there's still actions. Of course, in, in Maharaji's case, there's no motivation behind it except the motivation of the one, which is for us all to be brought out of ignorance. I love that. So, uh, there's plenty of other fun stuff in here, everybody. Uh, Bob is, uh, is what one would call a card. A, he's a real character with more knowledge than anyone I ever saw in one head. Uh, he's just, uh, he's something special. So we were lucky. And then, uh, 
We hope to see him out there more, actually. Um, which reminds me, by the way, I didn't say this before on, the, on part one. Bob Thurman is going to be joining us with Sharon Salzberg and Lama Sultram with Ramdas and Krishnas in May of 2019. So anybody who has not been out to Maui and been at one of these uh, retreats that we've been doing for quite a long time, many, many, many years, you might consider it. And I'm not sure when registration is opening. I don't think it's till the end of 18. But uh, put it on your schedule and... uh, uh, you can write to info at uh, ramdas.org and somebody will push you over to uh, the people who take care of the retreat to find out when it is that it will be opening. These things do, they do sell out fairly quickly with the likes of uh, Bob and Sharon and Ramdas, Krishnadas, Lama Tsultram. So there you go. This is... Uh, Part one and two of uh, what fabulous information here and entertainment at the same time. So this is Mind Rolling, and uh, we shall see you next week with another adventure, another adventurous podcast on the Be Here Now Network. Oh, by the way, I want to prompt somebody. Omid Safi, who's this incredible... A scholar of Islam who has now got a podcast, a Sufi podcast, a Sufi Heart, on Be Here Now Network. You got to check it out. He's fantastic. Okay, he knows more about um, the mystic Sufi uh, poets than anyone I ever met. You know, from from Rumi to Hafiz. So uh, check it out, would you? It's another uh, great offering. We shall see you next week. Namaste. I wanted to ask you guys a serious question, I thought. Because, okay. um, and, and I brought this up before. You have, you, all of you have, you have encountered Maharaji. You're best friends with the Dalai Lama. Yeah. Um, Wangyo was my Maharaji. You have a this. You've met this. Yes, 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 yes. He's in. He, listen, anybody who gets in, be here now. Book is like cool. Uh, he's, in, he's in there. Okay. 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 Dalai Lama wasn't there. I'm afraid to talk. But but listen. But I ask um, ask 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 Krishna Das. My question is: um, Is is there room in this satsang for someone to achieve enlightenment, realization, in, in the way that Maharaji did? And someone came to me and said, "Isn't the best way to honor Neem Karoli Baba?" not necessarily to um, worship him in this bhakti tradition, but it wouldn't the best way... Yeah, got one. Okay. (laughs) Wouldn't the best way to honor him to be to achieve that state of consciousness? Of course. That's what they want. Absolutely, of course. And... The bhakti path is one of the ways of doing that. Absolutely. It, it's, Maharaj used to say that uh, you, can, you come to the formless through the form. Because of the, the essence, the nature of form also is form. Is, there's no, nothing in there. It's emptiness, you know, like Bob says. So you come to, through the form to the formless, to the ultimate reality. And, uh, but it's hard for us who have bodies, who identify with the body and the thoughts and the emotions and all that stuff. We can't conceive of formlessness from this plane. You can't, you can't think of something. like Every thought is a prison. And you can't think yourself out of a prison made of thought. 
So you have to find a way of releasing the thoughts and dropping into that space in which everything is held through, uh, through, through love, loving, loving devotion or, or love, period. It's love. It's, you know, these, there's these books about a lot of people who talk about non-dualism or Advait. said, nothing ever happened. Ever. So we, but we think something's happening, so yeah, we have true. to act as if it's happening and, and purify our hearts and minds through whatever practice works for us. But we don't have to honor. He doesn't need our honoring. He's, he's in here. He's us. Why does he? He's not something separate. That's true. Never was, never will be. And we have to, the way, only way to recognize that is to do our part in the, play our part in the, in the, in the game, in the leela. So, uh, the, uh, you'd find this can I, interesting. Can I, can I make a, I'd like to make a little companion thing with what Krishna does, yeah. uh, brilliantly said. That faith is a way of finding reality of love. And, and wisdom and faith are usually put as opposite. But actually, they totally merge into each other. And the, the way wisdom does is there is what you said about how thought, you know, is always imprisoned and it sort of blocks faith. And that's because that's a thought that drives you. It's not your own thought that you use. But the thing is, it's like they say that you have to use thought like you use a kindling stick in the old way of making fire, you know, where you have that bow thing and you, you do like this. And then the wood chips that you're rubbing are the first things to burst into flame, you know. So the type of thought that you use, what wisdom comes from, is from critical penetrating analysis. In other words, you look at the thought or you look at what you're thinking about and you try to find it and what happens is that everything gets negated. So actually you end up, you don't find anything that you're looking for. That's how they disappear. And when you do that, then you come into this, then you, you can't find anything that you've been holding onto, wisdom does. So it shoots you into emptiness. You come into this kind of emptiness thing, which is not nothing. It's just that negational thought, therefore, self-empties, if you follow me. And that opens the way for the heart to feel, wow, I couldn't find anything, and yet I'm still here. The space is still here. It's, it's even safe here without anything in it. And even I'm only in the space, but if I look for the space that I'm in, I won't be able to find that either, and it won't obstruct. I didn't destroy other things. You know, there is a very big danger of people, either through faith or wisdom, that they go into a kind of state of obliteration. And there's unfortunately a lot of Buddhists who have an experience of disappearing, of, of being sort of, they call it vast space, you know, they all go talk about vast space, vast space, and then they come back from the vast space, of course, because they're still a relative being and they just had an experience of being non-relative temporarily, but then that, that itself is empty of itself, so then here they are back here. So, but then if they think that the real thing was when they were nowhere, then they get, again, dualism, you know, and they think that uh, I have to get back to that safe space instead of realizing that this is already that safe space. So the faith and the wisdom, the fact that this is all uncreated in reality, and the creation is a kind of illusory thing that's a play, that's a drama, then they completely reinforce each other. You know, it's like the sublime continuum. You know, you can feel that, you know, your Buddha mind is right here in the same mind as all the Buddhas, and yet it's, it's not ignoring you specifically. He didn't disappear off into some space and leave you behind in some lower place. It's all this one place, actually. Do you follow me? Yeah. So your, your faith is a way of emptying your self-centeredness through love of... Mrs. and Mr. and Mrs. God. That's really key. That's the lucky thing. That's why you're not going, you know, Jehovah, 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 Jehovah. You're not doing that. Because you really want to have a Mrs. Jehovah there because you love your mom. You know? Right? Yeah. So, so that's the thing. So there's no duality between the, the bhakti and the jnana. India unified them. And they, that is a great achievement. Where they did, they unified. Yeah. Faith tell, and wisdom. Faith tell and Bob wisdom. what's on the uh, what used to be on Kenchi on the sign. 
So uh, the temple we lived in and was up in a place called Kenchi. <clears throat> and uh, some years ago, they had to rebuild the archway entering into it and the bridge. And when they rebuilt it, they wrote uh, Sri Neem Karoli Baba Temple and Ashram. But that's not what Maharaji had written there when he, the place was originally built. He wrote the Sri Advait Sankatamochan Hanuman Mandir, oh. the non-dual destroyer of suffering, Hanuman. Yeah, why why don't you put that back on there? You better put that back on there. We're just going to blow the whole place up now. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, Actually, Bob, this is uh, some, uh, Krishnadas touch, touched on something that I thought might be good to share and get your lens on. Ramdas, one time we were all together in Allahabad and he was with Maharaji. They chatted. He, Ramdas came back and he said, I, I asked Maharaji if karma and grace were the same, were one, action and grace. And he said, Ramdas, I can't talk about this in public, correct? Yeah. And then hours later, Dada Mukherjee, whose house we were in, came to Ramdas and said, Maharaji told me to tell you we understand each other quite well. <laughs> and Ramdas thought, okay, because he thought that they were one, mm -hmm. but that uh, one had to live their life and take mm -hmm. action because that's a, it, it, it's a rational mind could not comprehend that they were one. And in fact, I asked this to Sidima years ago, and she told, and she said, absolutely, that is true, they are one, but you have to act. Mm -hmm. You have to take action. Right? Mm -hmm. You have to act like they're not. Yes, you have to, act like, you have to act like they are not one. Okay, good. And take action uh, yeah, and so great. on. Yeah, what's your reflection on, on that? My reflection on that is that, you know, the lucky thing is that where they're not one, where karma is sort of anti-grace, is where one is still in the grip of ignorance. And where they are one is when ignorance has been changed by wisdom and one is aware of the reality. And then it becomes enlightened karma and it's, it's only moved by wisdom and love. And therefore, it's, it's causal, it's action of mind, body, speech. And it's action that reaches out to bring in others from ignorance. And, and, and it's capable of that because the enlightenment part sees them as essentially already free of ignorance. In other words, it's, so, it's kind of cool. You know, you know if it's, it's not like the world of suffering versus the world of bliss. It's like the world of suffering is based on ignorance, therefore it's less real. It's more illusory than the world of bliss. The world of bliss is real one. That's a scientific discovery, that it's all bliss. You know? That's what they didn't get yet. You know? yeah. they, because, because they still think it's this, because, they, because I'm telling you, it's this whole problem of the men not having the women. They think it's a big bang. And at first, they even had the nerve to say, it was a lump of matter the size of a fist. What a bunch of bullies. Seriously, no woman would ever say that. They know it's a, it's a big connection. It's a big embrace. It's a, the universe arose from a big hug. You know, the vowels came along and hugged the consonants. And then they, they made mantra, and then they made all things. And it cycles, you know. There's, it's, it's always there, and it's never there. It's there out of ignorance, and it's there by, out of love. And it's because it's all created, uncreated, okay? You get it? It's easy. Well, we'll put it this way. Okay, I don't pretend. I don't pretend that I get it, but I do have a consolation. I'm going to share with everyone my consolation prize. I, I awarded myself a few years ago a consolation prize, Ramdas, because I got, tired of, I got tired of people asking me, you've been studying 50 years, or you got quite stoned, you know, like high doses at Millbrook. And, and, you, and yet you're not enlightened? Aren't you enlightened? And then, you know, I actually really 
kind of, so far, I don't really like people who say they are enlightened. They tend to be kind of a little bit uptight, you know. <laughs> I, I have a kind of joking statement, you know, in, in Zen, they call a person who thinks they're enlightened, someone who is trapped in the demon ghost cave. That's what they call it. And the reason is that if you think you're enlightened, you know, not, just, not even yet pretending to other people out of a business interest, but you're pretending to yourself, if you think that, you're stuck in this situation where you have to fart Chanel number five. <laughs> and so when you smell the smell, you have to try to rationalize what you're smelling. So you're really, you're really in trouble. So I'm very relieved. And of course, also, if I ever did even pretend, well, maybe I'm a little enlightened, you know, then, then my guru, which is Nina, she would throw me out of the house, you know, <laughs> rightfully, you know. So, so what I'm saying is this. I'm not enlightened. And maybe everybody who's following Maharaji is not yet enlightened, but they're devoted to him, and he represents the possibility that you can become enlightened. But the point is this, and it's also all contained in the Be Here and Now teaching. Because when you do become enlightened, not only is space eradicated in the sense that you think your body is the whole universe, but also you're everywhere in time. And then remember, under the Bodhi tree, Buddha remembered infinite previous existences just before, just on the event horizon of enlightenment. And why was he able to do that, which we are normally not? Because we forget it because we suffered a lot. We died. We were like freaked out. We didn't know Ramdas. We didn't know we didn't know Krishna Das. We didn't. So, you know, we were wandering, you know, around, nobody chanting, like really crappy music. You know? <laughs> so 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 my point is, so we wanted to forget about that. So he remembered all of it because he realized that even then he wasn't suffering. The suffering world was uncreated, never happened, right? So that's my consolation prize. Right now, we may not feel this is nirvana. We may not feel we are in the heart of Maharaji. We may not really be here now because we have to get on planes and trains and go here and go there, and we're not booked any longer, right? So it's kind of cool, though. But you know, next time, well, better, something like that. So it's, there's some imperfection, right? But when we do become enlightened, and since we're doomed to be here forever, even Duncan Trussell, <laughs> we're doomed to be here forever, and we eventually will get bored with not being enlightened. When we are enlightened, we will experience every moment of the past as perfect enlightenment and bliss. So we will enjoy being together in this space together as nirvana retroactively. <laughs> right? That's my consolation. And that, and, and, and that is faith. That's faith. That's, that's the Buddha wound. That's faith. Right? It's not, it's not sort of, it, it's cognitive dissonance embracing faith. Right? How about that? That's good. Huh? Thank you, Bob. Isn't that fun? Yeah. Are you consoled? <laughs> and also, uh, everybody will be with us. Everybody will be with us. Don't Wait, you? if that's the consolation prize, what was yeah. the prize again? Prize? <laughs> prize is already to be there now. This is nirvana. Be here now. A prize is really be here now. But that here, that here, and that now includes all time and all space. Here and now is space and time, right? Yeah. So all time and space, that means. So that means then you become, you become an infinite body in which everybody else can play, you know? Right? Right? Your shirt covers everyone. Nice shirt, but <laughs> lilies, blue My lilies. My wife just got this for me today. It is a really nice one. Thank you. Well, we only have a few minutes left, and I wonder... But it's if... an eternity, goddammit. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but uh, maybe uh, since this is the last session before Kirtan, uh, maybe a couple of people would have a question or two. How about that, Pa? Sure, sure, sure. Krishna Das. Let's hope so. 
Uh, we need, the microphone needs to go to the fellow. He's right on your left, Jonathan, there. Hi. Um, I think before, when you were talking about Brahma not knowing why we're here in the way we are, that starts to answer this question. But my question is, there's been a lot of talk about the ego as a struggle and the ego as an obstacle that we try to conquer. Um, but what's the clear light? What is the one doing with putting us in this form in the first place? Is there some blessing to the ego? Is there some opportunity and power that we have through the ego and uh, something we could do now that we couldn't do before? But maybe some kind of conversation, thoughts about the positive side and opportunity of the ego. That's really nice. I mean, do you, do you guys want to say something? Is it on me? Or you? Go ahead, you start. So, so e ego, first of all, ego, first of all, ego is just a pronoun. It's the Greek pronoun for I, you know. If you, if you go in a Greek deli and ask for yogurt, you say, ego wants yogurt, and they don't think you're like a you know, right-wing fascist. You know? <laughs> so it's just a pronoun. So as far as who put us here, nobody put us here. That's the whole point. We're not really here. Our ignorance makes me think we're in, the, in this version of here, which is the one that's not quite here. It's an illusion. You know? So... If we, we're, it's really uncreated. If you investigate yourself, your cause, past, present, future, if you really look, you can't even find an atom, never mind the soul, you don't find. You can't actually really, truly speaking, find your nose. No one in this room can find their nose unless you don't look for it. If you don't look for it, it's your hood ornament, your lifelong hood ornament. If you, if you look for it, it will dissolve under analysis. Though there's no, every point on the nose is no point, and points have no size. So the, if you put samadhi connected to a thought experiment of finding your nose, it will dissolve under analysis. So that's how we're not really here, first of all, just to, to put you at ease. But, but, but to, to, re, to reintroduce the discomfort we think we're here because of our ignorance, of our misknowledge. I mean, we, we misknow. We think, I'm here, sure, I'm here, I'm here. Sure, we are. I'm here, oh yeah. So we think that. So that's called misknowledge, you know, that's the ignorance. You know, ignorance is actually not quite get it because it's a wrong knowing rather than just a not knowing. It's a wrong knowing. So, so then all, we have to, all we're asked to do by enlightened beings is to examine what we think we know and look at it really critically. That's what wisdom means. It means be a scientist. Try to discover what your reality is. And then, and then you also... That, and be gentle with your unreality, but then you can look for your reality. And then when you find your reality, you'll find it. your reality is freedom, love, indivisible. Bliss void, indivisible, they say. Or, or emptiness, compassion the womb of compassion. And you'll find all kind of really neat things like that. And when you do that, and when you become enlightened, you don't disappear. You become everywhere for everyone. You really love, serve, remember, and you, you're really, poor Buddha is really busy. But luckily, when you're everything and you have all energy of clear light, you're capable of being that fully busy. So, and that's where then faith can come in, if it's possible. You know, that, that, that beings, and there have been also infinite time, doesn't just go to the future. There's an infinite past. So we've already been here infinitely when we're talking on the relative illusory level. So therefore, infinite beings have already become the Maharajis of their universe, the Buddhas of their universe, the Gijiwangels of their universe, the Dalai Lamas of their universe. There's infinite numbers of universes too. There's no limit. So there's so many beings really worried about us who are fully enlightened and fully present in us and around us. And they're just waiting for us to be less dense and try finally to be here now, really, where the here and the now include everything rather than exclude everything. Okay, that's the, the real here now 
that we'll be here now is, every, is including everyone. You know, it's what I call the expensive oneness. The cheap oneness is what a lot of religious mystics think is what's waiting for them. Where they're going to disappear and be someplace where it'll all be one and there'll be nobody home. And they don't feel guilty because even they won't be there. <laughs> you know? It's like big space. You hear all these people talk, big space. You know? That's a cheap one. Because it's kind of easy to be all one and love everything and there's no people there. Including yourself. The expensive one is where every, you, it's all one and everybody's there. With all their little quirks and things. And like, wait, what about me? They're all there. That's expensive. That requires like a whole army of enlightened beings, which you all are on your way to becoming, I think. Right? And you, you can feel it. Look at, who, who did that? Oh, Jeff, where everyone held up their hands? Or was that Roshi Joan? Who was it? I said, Thousand Armed Bodhisattva. And then everybody held it. Frank, Frank, yeah. Who did that? Frank, 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 Frank. Frank. That was yeah. really great. Yeah. Another question? No, nobody has a question, Bob. You've oh, no. done... Uh, There's oh. One. There's one. And, uh, it's actually for Duncan. Um, uh, I feel like you, you're flip-flopping on the oblivion, death model, um, the sort of infinite nothingness and the reincarnation model um, and I heard you talk on the podcast about having moments where you suddenly feel your mom in the room or that your mom loves a new friend you've made or so um, is it tough or, or have you reconciled or is there a tension there with feeling your mom but flip-flopping between the infinite oblivion um Hmm. The, uh, yeah, well, that for me, the infinite oblivion contemplation, it's more of a, it's like a recreational activity or, or something like that. You know, it's a fun thing to think about and, and, I, and I enjoy it a lot. But <clears throat> thank God I've met these people um, because ultimately what my, what my mom is now is love. And um, that, you know, when I first started realizing that was at your house, Ramdas, because right after my mom died, Raghu took me to Ramdas's house, and I got to have this darshan with Ramdas, and I, um, you know, I was shattered, shattered, and uh, so I'm sitting with him, and. Uh, The first thing my mom, I'm, th I'm thinking is, because, uh, you know, my mom, when I was a teen, she would play these Ramdas cassettes, and I hated them. Because <laughs> she liked them, not because of you, but because she liked them, and I was being a rebellious teen, you know. So we'd go on these long trips, and she'd pull out these tapes, and it's just like, oh, my God, here we go. <laughs> But secretly, I was listening to some of it and thinking it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. But I, I said to Ramdas, I wish my mom were here to, to see this. And I'm crying. And Ramdas is just beaming, beaming, beaming love. And he says, She is here. <laughs> and he, 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 he didn't mean it in some kind of, you know, the way it was. Spread moved, out like moved, some right? kind of uh, sea foam or vapor or something. He meant she's in the room, man. You just can't see it yet, you know. And 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 over time with the practice, that's what's real is my mom and love and all the other stuff. It's just Chanel number five, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good quote there. Now we have it's just Chanel number five, buddy. Oh, uh, someone in a red shirt over there. 
Ramesh. So following on uh, both what Duncan was saying and you, Bob, uh, and one of the things that you said on a tape about the uh, bardo that uh, my wife was listening to at one point is that uh, this space is also a bardo. Mm -hmm. So relative to our uh, living in this illusion, what is the difference between uh, bardo of life and bardo of death? That, and Duncan, I'm asking this, you know, in the same way that you're relating to your mother, and that we're here and not here. Right. Um, well, this is called the waking bardo, meaning bardo just means between, so it's between birth and death. And so our human embodiment is this precious gem, actually, that I think actually personally is, I personally believe is shaped. We are, we're aided, we have come from all kinds of other life forms. We've all been every other kind of life form in an infinite past. And we're, we're encouraged to come toward this very strange shape, which is the human shape. Because this is the sort of close to the divine and close to the, between the animal and the divine and 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 very very intelligent and very interlockable and interentangleable and very vulnerable also so at a place of very you know where we can really develop compassion and empathy with others you know it's a sort of high mammalian form and we're not that aggressive actually really we can unfortunately with our intelligence we can cook up nuclear weapons and horrible things you know but and guns and things but but we don't have really claws, we don't have fangs, we can't spit poison, et cetera, particularly, you know. So we're very kind of wimpy compared to rhinoceros or crocodile or something. And that's, that's nice, that makes us able to approach each other and be interconnected with each other. But the thing is that we are not, they, therefore the goal is to be lucid waking. You know, there's lucid dreaming. There is no, there is no death bardo, it's called the death point bardo. Then it's the reality bardo. There, there, there are six bardos, but there's no death bardo. There's the death point. And the death point bardo is when we, when we first touch the clear light and that satchit ananda. And because we're afraid of ananda, because we have been not lucidly waking, because we, so therefore we can't, and because we've been used to investing ourselves only in our environment. So we, we shrink from satchit ananda, being awareness bliss. We shrink from it. We're scared of that bliss. We're scared of too much awareness, and we're scared of uh, even being. You know, so we we really have a strong wish for non-being, actually, because that we we're, we're so we're so sensitive. You know, so but the death point one is where that happens, and you sort of skid into all forms. And then if you haven't been generous in life, if you haven't practiced letting go through bhakti, or through wisdom, or through meditation, or through a high dosage, if you haven't, or near-death experience, if you haven't experienced letting go completely, then when you, you do have to let go, you immediately crawling to reestablish a boundary and have, have some mechanism that, this, I'm not all of this, I'm this, you see. And that's out, out there outside of me, and I have to control my relationship to it. And then that's when you go into the reality bardo. So the death point bardo is just very like the first second of enlightenment, actually. High, high enlightenment uh, where you let go of everything, you know. And, um, and, but but when, you're not, when you're not generous enough, when you're not open-hearted enough, when you haven't cultivated exploring opening, you know, yourself, then you shoot right past it. You know, you don't notice it. Just like we shoot through our life. You know, people, when at the moment of death, right, everybody, people report, my life flashed before my eyes in a split second. Well, what that means is they, they didn't live lucidly. They ran around making money, getting pleasure, doing things, and they have only one split second of quality time when they were there now somewhere, when they were, you know, in the middle of, like, Black Panther or something, you know, and they were all excited, <laughs> or, or, or Avatar, you know, and... Uh, some, some drama where they were blown away temporarily. 
So that's why it's so short. Otherwise, boy, if you had a great life and you had lucid waking at the moment of death, it'd take you a whole lifetime again. Because it was all quality time all the time. So, so uh, that's our job, is to waken lucidly more and more, become more and more self-aware, more and more, and then the more we do, then the more bored we become with ourselves, the more alert we become of others, and then we we wake up that way, you know. So so it's just when you if you, when you see that it's sort of based on the wisdom of impermanence and knowing that you're a constant change, and therefore being able to surf reality, you know, instead of the constant effort of trying to control it all, you know, be a control freak, you know, you start surfing it, and then you find so many more things in the reality. And then you, you, know, you find the death point right here in life. And then you don't fear death because you realize you, everything, your, every cell in your body is constantly vibrating and it's changing and you're dying every second. You know? Okay, is that helpful? Yeah, that was good. But is the bardo then part of the fabric of this uh, illusion of separateness? Yeah, sure. It is. Yeah, I think. <laughs> yes, no, it divine does that, yeah, of course. It means between, you know. It means between. And, uh, uh, but, you know, the enlightened person comes and engages with, it, with us, with our illusions, to help us out. You know? So there's, there's, there's a blissful illusory play, and then there's the struggling, ignorance-dominated illusory play. Either one. Which is serious, which is more serious. <laughs> Something like that, I guess. I don't know. Oh, we have my, a... my wife actually is much more wise than I am. <laughs> she is actually yeah, yeah. my guru, but she refuses to talk in large groups. <laughs> so she puts me up to all of this, you know. Uh-huh. We but see, luckily, <laughs> luckily <laughs> she knows also when to tell me to shut up. <laughs> We have a question over here, Bob, or us, or somebody. Yes. Uh, all right. Uh, my name is Adesha, and this question is for you, Robert. Uh-oh. Uh oh. <laughs> yes. The non-local. Yeah, I love that. She heard. She's non-local nirvana. That's like the non-local. That's like quantum physics. In the um, expression. Awesome. Thank you. In the expression um, of your wife being your guru, and in the last comment about letting go, when Mary was mentioned and called a blood bank, is there not some surrender and letting go in her that she's a light bank as well? Who's she? Who? I'm sorry. Mary, when you mentioned Mary, oh, yeah. you called her a blood bank. No, oh, Mary is yes. Tara. Mary is Durga. Uh, really, so, but I'm just saying in that culture, she's like, they have only a ghost, you know. The, the, the Trinity only has a ghost instead of a woman. That's the problem of the culture. And, the, and yes. the, So my question is the Yeshua Maria complex, yes. or the courage, I guess one would, one would say, to have that relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, that when we only... Um, what my question actually is, is can you see her as a light bank as well as a blood bank? That's all. Yeah, well, yes, of course I do. I, well, my statement about blood bank was the cultural de- depreciative view of her. I was, not, I was mimicking that. I was not looking at my view. I see. I see Mary as Tara. To me, Mary is 100% Tara, but not getting her due. <laughs> Not getting her credit. When did you? Which, I, this is which all, scripture? This is all true. In which scripture right. do you hear Mary talking about what she thinks about? about uh, Mirabai Star does. Mirabai Star. Yeah, later about. maybe some people channeling, but I'm saying in ancient tradition, in the Orthodox tradition, you don't find a word about her. But you know, uh, Maya Devi has a long story of why she gives birth to Buddhas and what she does. And you know, Maya Devi, you know, in the, she, you hear a lot from her. You hear from Radha too. And you hear from uh, Sita, you hear all of them. So I would like, we do need the female voice on the planet now. If enlightenment is defined, not as some brilliant light going off in some guy's head, but rather 
the expansion of identity to identify with others, the female human embodiment is more advanced than the male by I, far. And I'm aware of the feminine within you and what a blessing I know I have listening to you. Oh, well, thank you. Well, you're Adesha, you know, that's why I, I don't know who gave you that name. It's an incredibly good name, Adesha. When you know? I was um, in India, I was given this name. It's an amazing name. It's, it means unlocated, beyond place, not placeable. You can't be pinned down, that means. That, that's like nirvana, you know. Nirvana, you know, the, the, for the dualist Buddhists, and there are plenty of those who think that nirvana is a place to escape to, then they call it nirvana with remainder and nirvana without remainder because they're desperate to disappear somewhere from suffering. But in the, the non-dual Buddhism, the real view of the Buddha, the Mahayana, universal vehicle, the heart vehicle, the nirvana is called the unlocated nirvana, the, the ultimate nirvana, which means it's everywhere. You know? So it's Adesha nirvana, that's what it's called. Thank so you that's a really, you. really nice name that you have. Thank you for your kindness. Okay, one, you. one more over here. Jonathan, right in front. So Bob and I talked about this um, yesterday when I missed the talk. We had a, an emergency. We had to go to Kahului, and uh, we missed this. We were talking about the post-death experience, and I guess it answers very much what Duncan was saying, but I'm, I'm actually terrified because the skeptic and comedian can make fun of anything that I say and undo it, and I, I guess there's a fear in me that's part of your process, or shtick. And I guess there is an answer to what is on the other side. And as you approach the white light and you meet the personality who is constructing this universe, then the universe sits in what's called a biverse, is that we exist. And the experience that I had on the other side was that we are like Hanuman, when Hanuman helps Ram find his wife and Ram appreciates him and goes to bring him into his stomach and bring him inside, then Hanuman pushes away with everything he has and says, I wish to stay in the beloved, in the state of that, rather than being integrated. And that we by X out of existing, X existing, is that we stay in appreciation and bhakti of the one and then I asked the one I said what is beyond you because there is something beyond that and the one said that there is an undifferentiated reality and that if you were to step past the existing then you would exist and you would be distributed across all of the multiverses and across all of the infinite becoming and that it wouldn't be oblivion but that it would be full integration, the way Rumi talks about the drop going into the ocean, that we would be subsumed into that. And that by choice, we choose to be in love relationship with the one, that we might express his divine nature and harmonize the light and the dark, and that we would become like the, the nectar of the, of the gods in this lila here. And that it's both, that you can choose to un and discreate or you can choose to stay like Hanuman and stay in repose to the one. Beautiful. Thank you. Here, here. Bodhisattva. The only, thing, the only thing I would like to add that's very sweet. I just want to say one thing that... Uh, that the, from this side, it keeps seeming like there's things beyond and beyond, as if there's an ultimate somewhere else. But clear light is not the white light. It's not a red light, and it's not darkness. Clear light is like gray. The analogy for clear light is like a gray. And in a way, it's an invisible light. You never see clear light, because you are clear light. So you don't see it. So you don't, shouldn't be terrified. Because although it seemed to you in that amazing experience that we honor you for having, 
and we're, it's kind of you to express to us. It seems to you there's something going beyond and beyond and beyond and beyond and some oblivions and different things they talk about. And there are all those experiences, yes. But finally, it's all here too. It's all here now too. So here now is also, also safe. And there's a, there's a really beautiful thing in that from some Tibetan yogis they talk about four, four points of, of confidence. And it's expressed in various ways, but what I see is nothing. So I don't see anything. I don't see anything. Because my seeing and the object seen are the same thing, so in a way I don't see anything. What I know is emptiness or freedom. So whatever I, whatever I think I am having, even if I'm seeing nothing, I think nothing is something I might. But emptiness saves me from being trapped in any experience. It melts all experiences. It's just infinite opening. What I feel is bliss. It's the four points, as he's called. And what I am is clear light. So it's interesting. So the, we are clear light already. Always have been. Always will be. And, and when we are most strongly aware of that is when we incorporate being able to not see anything, to always know opening, always know negation, always know being free of thought, closing thought, imprisoning thought, and also always melting and surrendering adesha, and surrendering to bliss, melting to bliss. So when we're doing that, then we can assert with confidence, I am clear light. And then and that's really the best state, supposedly, that we'll all get to. Also, also someday. Might I say? No fear. As you're crying, <clears throat> these tears. How absolutely lucky you are to get to have those tears. That kind of Good. crying <laughs> is. You know, I've gotten to cry like that. Once, or well, not once. After my mom died, and Roshi Jones said to me, "A window is open for you here, and and it won't stay open; it'll shut." So, I would say, just enjoy those tears, and just know that this is like the condensation of love. This is lo- you, you. It's it's love coming into this plane through your tear ducts. And it's so beautiful and such a, a sacred thing to be able to cry in that way. And, and I, I'm quite impressed with you and, and inspired by it. Thank you. Okay. Well, we're going to end on love. Okay. Then. We're going to end on love. It's a good way to uh, wrap up. And so I want to thank you, Duncan, again, for joining me here. And Bob for coming thank along. You. And Krishna Das. Thank you, Duncan. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Duncan. In Tibetan, the word for thank you is great compassion. Great heart, that means. In Tibetan, that's how you say thank you. Thank you, everybody.